It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back with Seth Engel for our weekly Penn State chat. The postseason is underway. Lots of different topics to talk about, none of them really relating to the games. Um, you know, we, we're not doing game breakdowns here, but the, a lot is happening as the offseason, uh, postseason is what I like to call it, getting underway. Um, Seth, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, this is uh, it's a no days off type situation. Season ended, uh, regular season that is, and we are getting going. We've got transfer portal heating up, um, opt outs are coming, bowl game is, is approaching. Um, and I'm looking forward to breaking it all down today. Yeah, that's, I want to get into the transfer portal talk here at the top because I think it's notable, A, that Penn State has um, largely avoided a lot of, of major losses. I think the big name was was Christian Driver just because he's the son of, of Donald Driver. Um, but he, he didn't play a, a major role on this team. Um, so other than that, there haven't been many names to speak of that have entered that portal that, that you'd say, oh, man, Penn State's really going to miss that guy. Meanwhile... Ohio State has uh, their one of their top receivers, Fleming, Kyle McCord, the quarterback, um, all a whole bunch of different guys, four- and five-star recruits, have entered the transfer portal in Columbus. Seth, what are your thoughts of, A, how Penn State's done, and, B, how that compares to, you know, one of their main rivals for the Big Ten title apparently struggling? It, it's pretty interesting. When the, when the transfer portal opened up, uh, Sunday at midnight. I mean, we kind of anticipated this influx of of additions, which which did happen. Um, but Penn State was kind of on the outside looking in um, of all these teams that were losing key players. And as of right now, I, I don't think it's done yet. I'm pretty sure we'll see a couple more. But as of right now, it's just Alex Paquetta, a punter who rarely played. Christian Driver, as you mentioned, you know, he had in two years he had one reception. And then a walk-on, Jace Tuddy, who hadn't played a game. Um, that Those are the three that have entered the portal thus far. Um, and you compare that to some of their their marquee rivals, like Ohio State, which, you know, has lost its starting quarterback and um, one of its top receivers and Julian Fleming. And it's, it's a very different situation. Um, but I think it also um, speaks to the fact that Ohio State brings in enough talent where some of these big names are, are – you know, pushed out when, when it doesn't go uh, maybe the way that they had anticipated in their recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's something to be said for Ohio state starts from a higher baseline than Penn state does. So, you know, when they, when they lose guys, maybe it's not as damaging if Penn state lost a five-star quarterback, a five-star receiver, 
Right. Um, th- there are other guys to kind of to kind of fill those holes. Still, these were people that were in prominent roles for Ohio State, and that Ohio State invested playing time in. Right, like you don't you don't start Kyle McCord because you think he, he's going to transfer at the end of the year and go somewhere else. You you start him because you've invested him in, in him and you believe in him as as a quarterback. And um, he, he goes eleven and one, wins a big game against Penn State at home, and and here we here we sit. So I, I still think it's a little bit jarring in, in that respect. Um, uh, Seth, when you when you look at all the whole you know landscape here, does this look like an endorsement of of um, James Franklin's decision to hire Andy Kotelnicki as the next offensive coordinator? Does that signal some level of buy-in um, by the players, or at least a wait and see mentality of hey, this guy's got a pretty stellar reputation. Maybe I was thinking of transferring, but maybe now I'm not because I think I can see myself in this offense thriving. Um, is that a fair initial read of, of, of the portal situation? I think it's possible. Um, I just don't think there were too many names that I, you know, saw right off the bat as potential transfer additions. I mean, we, we kind of went down the line and, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, maybe Katron Allen, you know, maybe Keandre Lambert-Smith would be the two big names to potentially test it out. Uh, but I don't know if it was ever that likely that they were going to enter the portal and it's still early. Um, but this is what we talked about, you know, after they hired Kotal Nicky was, okay, is this going to be a situation where maybe guys waited out a little more um, just to get familiar with the system? Maybe they don't want to, they don't want to burn that bridge too quickly. Um, it is possible. That, that is possible. This is, you know, why I mentioned this is such good timing um, for Penn State to bring in the new guy now um, where it was a few days before the portal opened, before people could make, you know, rash decisions. Um, now they have time to sit on it. Um, so yeah, I, I do think, I do think that that played a part for sure. Have we underestimated the impact that three straight losses to Michigan could have on Ohio State and, and how they're not used to this? Because I think Penn State, you know, they've lost some big games this year. They've lost some big games the past three years. They've lost some big, big games over the past decade. Um, but another another initial read I'm getting of, of the situation is Penn State's used to this. And, and I think it's, you know, part of, um, you know, the expectation going into the years that, hey, it's going to be tough to beat these teams if Penn State doesn't, does their identity change dramatically? And, and I think what we're seeing with Ohio State is their identity is changing. Um, is that part of why Penn State, you know, despite, I think, being the lesser team than Ohio State this year is, is um you know, not experiencing the same kind of, of shock that, that Ohio State seems to be experiencing? I, I also just think Ohio State is being a little more aggressive where they kind of have set this standard of beating Michigan, like you mentioned. Um, and when it's not done, I think that the new age of college football allows them to treat their situation like free agency, where maybe they can part ways with a guy who's not working out. Like people are like, oh, Ryan Day has to go after – the loss to Michigan, but what about, okay, Kyle McCord has to go. So they have a mutual discussion um, and they determine that he's not the best fit long-term and maybe his best fit is elsewhere. Um, and now he has the option to go test the market um, and, and head out. It's really interesting that that's, that that's an option. I mean, I don't think, you know, that Penn State can do that with Drew Aller. You know, even after a season that, that did, there were struggles on the offensive side of the ball. Um, especially in those big games against Ohio State, Michigan. Um, but they're not in a position to be aggressive and, and part ways with a guy um, when they aren't 100% positive that they'll have, you know, a, a 
great replacement. I think Ohio State is um, a good enough transfer destination that they know even without Kyle McCord, they could bring someone in. Um, or maybe there's a guy, maybe Devin Brown is, is their guy for the future. Uh, maybe something changed there, but they're able to use the transfer portal um, to, to their advantage in that regard. Uh, so I'm guessing we agree on this, Seth. You're not looking at the developments of the last few days and saying, hey, maybe Penn State's going to be, you know, minus six, minus seven going into that game next year. This doesn't this doesn't change quite your math yet on, on what that, that game next season is going to look like because th- there is so much that Ohio State could do recruiting in the transfer yeah. portal, and they are a desirable destination. It's way too early, and they are, you know, one of the most defined kind of NIL organizations right now. Like, they have the resources, and they've – had the resources. Like whenever you hear James Franklin um, talk about being behind with his competitors in terms of alignment um, and all the things that quote unquote, we need to, um, you know, be doing 365 days of the year, Ohio state has kind of always been um, one of the standards that Penn state has kind of tried to follow. Um, Now we're starting to see, you know, this alignment come to fruition, Penn state try to catch up, but Ohio state's always going to be, a good destination. You know, they're a huge brand, one of the biggest in all of sports. Um, they pump out NFL talent. They have gone to the playoffs multiple times. I mean, that that's a premier destination um, for any transfer. And uh, there are a number of quarterbacks on the market. I, I don't think Ohio State's going to have any problem bringing someone in. Specifically referring to some of Penn State's personnel needs, I think I saw there are 140 um receivers in, in the portal. Obviously we already mentioned Fleming from Ohio state. Is, is he someone that gets you excited Seth and says maybe Penn state can go chase that guy down. Um, he might want to stay at a, at a premier program. Um, and, and maybe they can get a, a talented guy like him. What's your, what's your initial read on, on what's available in that portal and Penn state's ability to compete for that town? Because I, honestly, Seth, I think that's what's going to define Penn state's ability to compete you know, for a national championship, a, a top four, um, you know, playoff berth next season is can you get the playmakers to give Drew Aller um, to, to help him come out of his shell a little bit? Yeah, I think Fleming is, you know, obviously the biggest name there just because he has the ties to Penn State and nearly committed there, um, you know, a few years ago, was the number one receiver in the class, um, was supposed to be, you know, just one of those guys of the future for the Nittany Lions and, and he went, ended up going to the rival school. Um, I'm interested to know if, if that, you know, whole situation burnt a bridge with James Franklin. Um, I'm not sure it did. Um, I, I'm sure James would like to bring him back if possible. Um, Fleming has not reached his potential, not anywhere close at Ohio State. I think that also has to do with the fact that he has played behind Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Chris Olave, um, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, like it's it, he's kind of been given um, a bad hand there um, for for someone to thrive. I think if he's given you know an opportunity to be a one or number two receiver at a program like Penn State, um, I think he could do well. Um, with that being said, my worry with wide receivers um, and and coming to Penn State is that they saw what happened last year. And they saw the way that Penn State used Keandre Lambert Smith, and they saw the way that you know Drew Aller struggled to throw to his receivers, and um, definitely more of a tight end heavy guy. Um, and and they might you know be a little uh, they might be a little afraid to to come to Happy Valley um, after that performance. Um, I don't know if you have the same thought there, but um, there are a lot of talented guys in the portal who I, I'm not sure you know they might have to take a closer look at Penn State because of that. 
Yeah, I, I could, I could, maybe I'll just for the the sake of argument argue it the other way, which is that you know Penn State didn't have the receivers, I think, to create the separation to let Drew Aller kind of show what he can do. They did have those receivers last year, and granted, it was often against backups, but we've seen Drew Aller make throws that I don't think a lot of college quarterbacks can make. Um, I think it's it's a matter of having the personnel that can bring that out of him. So a, I think I think people are still going to want to play with Drew Aller. I think you can see it. And and that that it just needs some fine tuning with with the personnel and B you know we've talked about it on this show Seth that I don't know if Keandre Lambert Smith was the the quote unquote number one receiver um, that that you know Penn State needed this season to to make this offense work and I think there are guys in the portal that could say hey I can do that better I can make more with with what Penn State has around me um, than what Keandre Lambert Smith did I I think I'd argue that side of the coin. The question is, how many of those receivers are in the portal, um, true difference makers, and not just the Dante Cephas's of the world that, um, you know, uh, I put him in the Mitch Tinsley category of good receiver, but but maybe not a great receiver, um, you know, from a from a mid-major level, or um, a Malik McLean who couldn't make it stick really at all at his previous program, which was Florida State. Um, you know, I think Penn State could hit on some of those guys, and, and it, I think it's kind of, you know, a boomer bust situation, but I don't know how many proven receivers are going to be in the portal for Penn State to get. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I think that there are those guys. Like, I think Penn State might want to shy away from going the group of five route, um, similar to what they did with Cephas, because it just didn't work. I mean, the talent is just drastically different um, when you're playing MAC teams and then all of a sudden um, you're going against Ohio State and Michigan. It's just a completely different game. I mean, it's hard to adjust to the same speed and the level and the playbook is different. Um, but there are guys, you know, there are number one leading receivers from Power Five programs who are in the portal right now um, that Penn State, you know, has has offered already. Um, you know, there are some guys that stand out, like Donovan McCulley from Indiana was offered by Penn State last night. Um, he's a guy who, you know, had 96 receiving yards and a touchdown at Beaver Stadium, so he can do it against one of the best secondaries. We've seen that. Um, you know, he could potentially you know, talk a little more with Franklin to make something happen. You know, some other guys as well, um, you know, Vanderbilt's leading receivers in, in the portal. Uh, we know Franklin has a connection there. Um, you know, that's a guy they could potentially bring in. Um, there are just other names. I mean, I'm trying to think, but I mean, there, there, there are tons of number one wide receivers at Power 5 programs who are entering the portal. Um, and Penn State should be more aggressive than they were last, last year and not rely on a group of five talent and um, really bring in someone who's shown that they can do it um, at, at the power five. 
Yeah, I agree, Seth. Um, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about Alex Kotelnicki, um, the offensive coordinator. What what have you learned about the new OC since we first spoke that, that sticks out to you? To me, is is I think I misspoke a little bit in our initial podcast on uh, what was that Thursday night, saying that he, he didn't seem like a, a super RPO heavy guy. But I've since seen seen a lot of film of them, um, you know, deploying the RPO to pretty. Um, great effects. The, the the statistics don't back up that their quarterbacks are, are running a whole lot, but they do appear to at least threaten defenses, put them in conflict. Um, and, and that is a gear that he has. And I, I think that is encouraging that, um, you know, that's something that he can do. Those are play calls that are in his repertoire, but that they're not necessarily, he's not a one trick pony. He can do other stuff too. He can, um, you know, set, set quarterback backs up to have success from the pocket. I think that's the thing that sticks out to me is, is, you know, between, you know, the other day and now, um, but what, what have you seen? Yeah. So I, I've kind of done some more research. Like I, I talked to one of his former running backs yesterday who found like massive t- success with him um, and, you know, spoke like extremely highly of him. The, the thing with, with Andy Kotel, Nikki is the fact that, you know, like he said, he's not a one trick pony. This is a guy who has everything up his sleeve and that is his number one trait defenses don't know what to prepare for because he could pull out some crazy scheme um, that they've never seen before that no one has ever seen before, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and and the guy I talked to, you know, the running back, like he just described it as a fun play style, um, which I think is how Penn state wants to be. I think your sitch, there were times when you would see a play call and you're like, Oh, that's fun. That's cool. Um, but it rarely worked. Um, and it was also inconsistent in the way that they ran it, you know, like it, I feel like they ran a lot of like those weird schemes more at the goal line or in the red zone. Like Kotal Nicky is not afraid to pull out something weird like midfield. Um, he does a lot of heavy personnel, which I think Penn State does well with, um, especially if they're not going to have, you know, a crazy wide receiver core next year. Um, rely on those tight ends. They have a five star tight end coming in. Young guys coming up. Um, heavy personnel. Put running backs in weird positions. I think if you you could get Nick and Katron involved a little more in the past game, um, I, I think. Um, but but you know he also kind of just likes to feed the rock to his guys, um, to the most talented players in the field. And if that means that they just simply run the ball and they pound it 20, 30 times a game, um, he's not afraid to do that. He is a guy that will do whatever works, um, and he is a guy that's going to get the most out of his star talent. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know what, I, I like the creativity near midfield, Seth, because I think that's where you have the ability to create explosiveness. You can't create explosiveness at the ten yard line, right? And and I think that's uh, that, um, you know, that, that's sometimes a, a, a problem you see is is you get in the red zone. There's not a lot of space. Um, you can be creative, but at the end of the day, you're still only trying to go ten yards. You know, it's 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 those those plays that you can set up the the big home run hits that we didn't see in this Penn State offense this year that that. That's where what I'm excited to see. Let's get into a little bowl talk here, Seth. Um, to what degree now we know Penn State's in the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss, um, SEC opponent. Obviously not the creme de la creme of that conference, but um, you know they're ranked number eleven. They would be in the college football playoff next year at, at uh, you know the the final spot. Um, to what degree does beating this team? salvage the season for Penn State is is it could it be like a a Rose Bowl situation last year where you beat Utah and and you regenerate the hype after those frustrating losses um or does this just not have the same cachet because that was the Rose Bowl and this is the Peach Bowl 
yeah, I think it obviously doesn't have, you know, the same impact. Um, the Rose Bowl is just one of the most historic um, kind of essential bowl games and games generally um, of college football. You know, people who don't watch college football know what the Rose Bowl is um, because it's so much more than football. You know, it's a whole event. Um, it's it's huge for the community um, in Pasadena and L.A. Um, and I just don't think that Peach Bowl has that same impact in Atlanta um, or nationally. Um, it's just it's just not the same. Um, with that being said, you know, a win is a win. And you want to end the year on a positive note going into um, into a very you know tumultuous season um, that will see an expanded playoff and expanded Big Ten. Um, I think that you kind of want to give yourself as much of an edge as you possibly can before all of that kind of comes. Um, so I think winning is important. Um, but I will say, you know, when we were at the Rose Bowl last year, the, the vibe was if the Rose Bowl is the standard, especially after winning the Rose Bowl, if that's the standard, then what comes next has to be the playoff. Um, and that didn't happen this year. So this, I mean, it's still, they're not going to tell you it's a letdown, but like it, it feels like a letdown. Um, you know, I think the vibe is, is different. I don't think that um, when they won at in Detroit a couple weeks ago, I don't think that um, anyone was too ecstatic. Like it was just another win. It wasn't like, oh, we completed this awesome 10 win season. Like this is amazing. Like he just did it. Um, so I think the standard is still the playoff um, and they'll have to wait another year for that. Yeah, I think this is more of a don't lose situation. I think you go into – I think people respected that that Utah team nationally in a, in a way that if Penn State had lost that game, um, you know, Cam Rising plays the whole game and, and you know, things go Utah's way and, and Penn State loses a tight game. I don't know if it, 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 you take such a hit on the reputation. I think if, if you lose this game, the only other big game on your schedule, um, you know, just given the, the snowballing effect of losing to Michigan and Ohio State again – I, I think it's it's a little bit damaging. So I don't know if there's a whole lot for Penn State to gain, and I think that's the, the big difference for me this year. That said, Seth, was this the best-case scenario for Penn State given um, how championship weekend transpired? Texas goes off the board for the you know New Year's Six games by getting into the playoff. Um, Georgia and um, Florida State end up in the Orange Bowl because of the contractual obligations. They weren't available as possible opponents for Penn State. Um, I think you look around at, at what else was there. I mean, maybe you'd like to see Penn State play Oregon. Maybe you don't because that Oregon team's pretty good and they're going to get broken up here in a, a, a few weeks and, and, and maybe you're, you're better than them next year. But right now, maybe that's not a team that you want to see. Um, don't want to see SMU in a bowl game. Do you think Penn State ended up with their best possible draw? Yeah, I mean, for a second on Saturday night, um, people are starting to say, oh, well, is Penn State have the chance to play Georgia in a bowl game? Um, which I think probably would have kept some of those opt-outs. Um, I think some of the guys who are thinking of opting out probably would have stuck around if it's a game like Georgia. Um, uh, but, yeah, like Oregon was an option too, maybe in the Fiesta Bowl um, when it came down to it. And so was Liberty. You know, that was something we had discussed was who's going to get the group of five team. And Penn State had already faced Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so, basically, it was someone else's turn uh, to, to get the group of five. And, um, sucks for Oregon, a team that was, you know, this close to a playoff, um, and now they are stuck, you know, playing Liberty, um, which is, you know, that that shouldn't be a close game whatsoever. Um, shouldn't be very fun, um, but that could have been Penn State. You know, that very well could have been Penn State. If they were to have gotten Liberty, would have been the first 
New Year's New Year's Six team to draw the group of five um, opponent twice. So I think that, you know, whoever selects the bowl games kind of thought about that and said, all right, let's give it to someone else here. Um, Penn State gets Ole Miss, fun matchup. Lane Kiffin, he's cool, has a good Twitter. Um, I think it should be fun. You know, I think it's I think it's a fun matchup. But um, these opt-outs, we'll see what happens. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, Seth. Um, you know, who opted out that maybe you didn't expect? Um, you know, what's what's your what's your view on on all of that and how that'll impact this game? Yeah, I mean, there's only one opt out right now. It's Chop Robinson. I think that was pretty um, predictable that that he was going to kind of head out. Um, you know, I I doubt Olu Fashion who plays in this game. I would be surprised if Kalen King did too. Um, I, I think there are going to be some more announcements coming. Um, in the next week. Um, but Ole Miss is, is uh, apparently not expecting to have, you know, any um, Lane Kiffin said, you know, he's not expecting to have that. They should be at full power. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Penn state, I believe they're favored in, in the game right now, but if we wait like a week or two, I think that line might shift a little bit um, just based on the availability that they're going to have. Um but, you know, like like any game with opt-outs, you know, this should be a good opportunity to see um, some of the younger guys who could play a bigger role uh, next year. Yeah, and I think this is a spot you want to get get those guys in. A, a significant game against a, a solid team. Um, and, and this is all about, you know, next year at, at this point. So I, I think, you know, Chop Robinson wasn't going to be here. And and that that is, you know, I think it's it's nice to give those guys an extra look at the end of the season. So, um, you know, good for Penn State there. Seth, um, there has been some dialogue online about, um, you know, the, the final New Year's Six spots because next year that's where the we, we spent all this time talking about Florida State, Alabama. You and I are going to get to that in a moment. But um, this time next year you're going to be talking about 10, 11, 12, 13. That's where the, the cutoff is going to be for the playoff. Um, Stuart Mandel was one of the, the prominent national pundits who came out and says he doesn't understand why Penn State was ranked ahead of Ole Miss. Oklahoma basically he, he thought Penn State should have been left out of the you know I guess for lack of a better term next year's college football playoff um what do you think of of that whole conversation did Penn State deserve to be you know at number 10 and and was that the correct ranking I I say yes I mean you you play two pretty tight games against Michigan and Ohio State no you you weren't probably weren't going to win them yes you were beaten probably more than the scoreboard indicated um, you know, but you certainly didn't get your doors blown off like Ole Miss did in some of these big games against these playoff caliber teams. Um, so I think that's something that's in, in Penn State's favor. Um, no, you don't have a, a huge win on your schedule. The biggest win is, is Iowa, but you dominated most of your schedule. Otherwise, they're, they're really, you know, there, there weren't a whole lot of competitive games other than those, those two against um, two teams in the top seven. So you know, and I, I believe there's a lot of the computer rankings had Penn State at number ten back up, um, you know, their standing there, and I think that's something that the, the college football playoff committee looks at. It's not as prominent as it was in the BCS era, where the computer was half of what determined, you know, who got into the championship game. But uh, the analytics are still a major thing that that I, I know the committee looks at. So, so Seth, what did you think of of that debate and and where Penn State fits into it? Well, my question is just if Penn State doesn't deserve 10, then why is Missouri at nine? You know, because it's well, who is Missouri beaten? I mean, what, Tennessee? Like it's it, I know Penn State's, you know, best win this year was Iowa. Um, 
But in every other game they played, that wasn't Ohio State and Michigan, um, which they did play relatively close, you know, two of the best teams in the country. Um, it was a blowout um, for the most part. Um, and I just, you know, Penn State didn't play teams close. Um, they had three shutouts this year. They have, you know, arguably the best defense in the country. Um, I, I just don't understand, you know, what is their what is their resume? How does it look any different than a team like Missouri at nine? Like you could make the same argument um, that they didn't play enough. Uh, they didn't beat enough difficult opponents. Um, they played some ranked teams. They played some guys who are ranked pretty highly like Georgia and, um, and LSU. Um, but like Ohio State and Michigan with Penn State, like they fell. Um, so I just I think you can make the argument for for a number of teams um, in that same kind of range. Yeah, and you know what Stuart Mandel said in in the replies to his comments. Um, someone pointed out Penn State beats Iowa, and he says, "Well, you know, at least at least um, Ole Miss beats LSU." Is there a team that gets more burn out of that their their one recent really good year than than LSU? Because the last couple of years, the, the, it's like everyone acts like the, the LSU is a great team. They lose three games a year all the time and have for other than 2019. Like, And yet, what what really is the difference between LSU and Iowa? I'm curious to hear other than, yeah, they got Jaden Daniels. There was some explosiveness. But they also gave pretty up pretty big one. <laughs> they also gave up a ton. I, I'd love to see Iowa and, and LSU. Actually, are they playing in the uh, – am I wrong? Is, is that the bowl matchup for Iowa? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that would be – that would be extraordinary. No, it's but, LSU's, LSU's got Wisconsin. Okay, well, then that's not going to tell us a whole lot. But but do, I like, do you get my point there of, like, why is it that LSU gets treated as this, like, massively great win, but Penn State beating Iowa is like a joke? You know what I mean? And I'm not saying Iowa's the yeah. best. Obviously, they are very deficient on offense. Obviously, that was made worse by some injuries that they had. But they still finished – you know, they still made their conference championship game. Had they not lost to Michigan, they'd have one. You know, I think they have one extra win on LSU. Why are they a joke? And why is LSU like this? This like, you know, program affirming victory. Yeah, I mean, their prized defensive coordinator who won the Broyles Award, um, he allowed thirty-one points in Beaver Stadium. So, uh, like, that's that's a big. I think it's less of ju- it's more than 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 just a win. You know, because it's a shutout and a 31-point victory on, you know, one of the nation's top defenses. Like, that no one else was able to score, you know, more than, what, 25 on? What did Michigan score? 20, 26 or something? Like, Penn State at 31 um, and shut them out, too. Like, that's that, that's that's pretty impressive, uh, in my opinion. Um, Penn State's schedule wasn't, wasn't very hard this year. Um, but that's not their fault. Um, when they had the opportunity, their defense was – was dominant. Um, and I think that they deserve that number 10 spot. You know, I think that any team under them, um, it would be a ball game. Yeah, I agree. Um, Seth, what did you think, you know, quickly of the Alabama Florida state snub? I mean, I, I, I say BS, I think the games have to matter. Um, the whole reason we have a 14 playoff is to avoid the possibility of a team going a power five team going undefeated and claiming a share of the national title which if Florida State beats Georgia in the bowl game somehow, which I think it's going to be a little tough, but, you know, without Jordan Travis. But if Florida State wins that game, they have every right, in my opinion, to claim the national championship um, and, and hang a banner and say, we won. Just like, you know, we look back we look, we look back and laugh at like the 70s and be like, how were there multiple teams that claimed the national championship? And here we are in 2023 with a team that could reasonably claim a national championship. 
which this whole system was built to avoid. Listen, I get that Alabama is the better team, but you don't want split national championships. You want one. That's what this is all about. How did we forget this? I mean, this is a testament to why this is all changing. This is why this is the flaw. This is this was bound to happen. Um, you can't have a you can't have five power conferences and four playoff teams and expect that something like this isn't going to happen at, at some point. Um, someone's going to have a great season and other teams are going to have great seasons and you're going to have to pin them together and someone's going to be upset. UCF was upset. That was on a lower key. Now we're seeing it with Florida State, one of the blue bloods of college football. Um, I would, you know, I, I personally, I, I understand the committee's thought process where it's like, you know, Bama just beat the SEC champion uh, or just beat the uh, the national champion of the past two years. Um, SEC champion, um, national champion's been defined by a by an SEC team the past four years, um, which is a pretty significant statistic. Um, when you're kind of determining whether you want to leave someone out or not. Um, but, you know, it wasn't fair. You know, FSU going 13-0 and 0 and um, they're left out. Like, that sucks. Um, but you only have four teams. So you got to make a count. <coughs> you got to ask yourself who are the best four teams in this. I don't think FSU was, you know, that great against Louisville. That being said, you know, they had a third-string quarterback in there, a true freshman, um, and it's hard to judge. Um, maybe if they had that backup, we'd be talking about something else. But I think this is a, a structural thing. I think the system is flawed. Um, and this is exactly why, you know, this playoff is expanding. Seth, the future playoff this year would have been five Big Ten teams, five SEC teams, and then the contractually obligated group of five champion and then Florida State. Um when you're looking forward, do you do you a do you see this as as the future where um, the two you know conferences that have moved a lot of this realignment, who've taken most of the top programs available, are going to have the vast majority of of these bids? And do you think that plays in in Penn State's favor? Um, because I I look at them and I still think regardless of who's being added to the conference, Penn State's number three in the pecking order. They're not going to be on on that bubble. Um, you know, I, I, I think Washington and Oregon had great teams this year, but I don't know um, if they're on a, at a program level at the same place that Penn State is. Um, and, and I think we're, we're going to find that out next year, right? Because a lot is turning over, um, you know, in Seattle and Eugene. Um, what's your read on, on how, you know, this kind of first iteration that we have to kind of compare notes against shaped up and, and how Penn State fits into that math moving forward? Yeah, you can say all you want about James Franklin and, and Penn State's lack of elite um, kind of status over his tenure. Um, but the one thing that he's been able to do is be consistent as a borderline elite team, which is all you need in this new era. You just need to be borderline, be a New Year's Six team, and you're in. Um, and that's Penn State has shown that they're able to do that, more so than teams like Washington and Oregon um, and even USC. Um, you know, this is going to be – James Franklin's fifth New Year's Six Bowl um, of his tenure. So that's half of the years he's been a coordinator or half of the years he's been a head coach. He's he's gone to, you know, a prestigious bowl game. Um, and I just think that next year, um, you know, Penn State's still going to return some talent. They're going to lose some as well. But I don't think they're going to lose as many as um, or as many significant players as some of these other Pac-12 teams that are coming in. Um, who are losing their starting quarterbacks, and you know, so is Ohio State. Um, 
So I think it's good for Penn State. You know, um, it sucks to be on the border, um, but I think maybe that the definition of of elite team in college football, um, I think that might have new meaning um, over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm, you know, I think going into the year, I thought USC was um, a bit more than it was. And I think they're looking like a paper tiger now. I think, you know, next year when they're losing games, you know, to, to middle conference teams and they lose to Purdue or they lose to Iowa, teams that the national pundits love to make fun of that are, you know, at the same level as the teams that, that USC has been losing to. But um, just because of the Big Ten's reputation is being defense heavy and uh, the middle of the Big Ten gets treated like a joke. When, when USC starts losing those games, I think, um, you know, things are going to get interesting in LA real quick. Um, but Seth, any other thoughts before we sign off here for the week? No, I'm just looking forward to some Iowa games um, against some of these guys. USC, like some of these Pac-12 teams, it's like you know, Iowa, but it's just flip-flop. Kind of like when you were talking about LSU, like they have all the offense in the world, but they just have absolutely zero defense. So it's just going to be really weird when you pair teams that are like that. Um to kind of just see what happens. Like I was able to win without having any offense. Like they are all defense. Um, and I just don't know if that has worked the, the same way for some of these Pac-12 teams um, that simply rely um, on offense. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but I mean, yeah, USC has got a new DC coming in, former Penn State player, Dan Lynn. Um, we'll see what happens, but it should be fun. He's uh, yeah. He's doesn't have a whole lot further to go than up. Um, you know the way that USC defense played in that Washington game. I mean, it was a joke. So um, yeah. we'll see if they make any kind of adjustments between now and next season. Seth, thanks for talking to me this week. Um, everyone else, please stay tuned for the rest of the week. We're going to have Steelers Patriots post game here on the Post of Sports Now YouTube channel. Myself and Paul Zeiss will be breaking that game down ten to fifteen minutes after it ends on Amazon Prime. Christopher Carter will be back with the North Shore Drive on Friday um, with, with, you know, second day reaction to Steelers Patriots. Huge game. I, I think it's going to determine whether the Steelers have a chance to make the playoffs or not. So make sure you're subscribed. Uh, make sure you like this video if you enjoyed it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.